of his will in our lives at times. It's usually hidden in pain and suffering and adversity. You don't see it till you really need it. And he's not the author of that. But the mystery of God's will and how his word works and how the performance of the blood comes when you need that power, it's all hidden in pain and suffering and when you're going through things. And that's, you know, if you're not going through anything, you're really not pressing into the Lord. I mean, I, there's seasons. And uh, I, do y'all understand that? And so I'm not looking for pain and suffering, but Paul said this. He said, I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of the resurrection. And he said this too, which always kind of threw me off. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. And then he talks about death, how Christ was obedient even unto death. And when I read that scripture, I'm thinking what Paul's thinking. I, I want to I get it like Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to be in the anointing, the Christ, the Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. And I want to know the power. See, Jesus knew the power of the resurrection because he was resurrected. <laughs> you understand? Jesus knew the power of the resurrection because he was resurrected. And so we live in this world. And at times, we need to be resurrected. It, it's normal as a Christian to get faint-hearted at times. It's, it, I'm telling you, is that a battle for anybody at any time? It's, it's a battle at times to so don't lose heart. Stay strong. Stay focused. And so Jesus experienced resurrection. So always believe to see the goodness of the Lord, no matter what you're going through. Because none of us are exempt from going through what people go through. Now, we don't want to open the door to it. We don't want to self-afflict ourselves and we don't, we don't want to make the wrong choices, but we can do everything right like Jesus did and still confront it with trials and tribulations and persecutions and things like that. So that's when we need to lean on the Lord. That's when we need to know the power of his resurrection. That's when we need to understand the fellowship of, of his sufferings. Lord, how did you do this? How did, how did you manage? How did you hold it together? How did you keep your peace? How did you keep your eyes on the Father? So that's a word for anybody going through something? Somebody that's really going through something, they'd raise their hand. <laughs> well, if you're not, you will be. And I don't prophesy that over you to, to speak negative, but it's just, it's trials and tribulations. Jesus said, in me, you'll have peace and you'll have light. But in this world, it's going to be tribulations. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so in him is our peace and our life. In the world, there's trials and tribulations. So stay in him. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that this message 
that I have composed by the Spirit will be relayed to people in a way that they not only receive it, but they can apply it. Thank you for eyes to see and, uh, and ears to hear. Thank you that hearts will understand what you're telling us this morning. And I thank you that we will find the mystery, your will, your purposes, your plan, your design. Your word will not be mysterious to us because we'll apply it in these times of trouble, in these times of uh, difficulty, in these times of being misunderstood, in these times of maybe pain and suffering or in need. Lord, that you would reveal yourself and we would see the power of your resurrection. Amen. Amen. Well, anyway, Kevin and several people were at an outreach uh, this past weekend, Saturday, and uh, Kevin opened up in prayer. It was really good. And someone came up to Kevin after and they were like mad because he, he basically preached. You know, you ask a preacher to pray, he's going to preach. Did he preach? Yeah, he preached. So, and they knew what was going to happen. So actually, he lifted up Jesus Christ, you know, and he blessed people. And there was a man afterward that came up to someone that Kevin knew and said this, I wish I would have had a loaded shotgun while he was preaching. And you might say, oh, my God, that's so offensive. In most countries, they don't tell you about the shotgun or the rifle. They just use it. You understand? They just use it. <laughs> they don't tell you. So words won't move us. You see a gun, you might want to run. But words are not going to move us. Last week, I was talking about how words can throw us off. You can be flying high, you can be doing good, and then this one person comes up to you and they say this thing. And then you hear it, and then you forgot everything you knew and what you were focused on. And if you're not like that, sometimes you're lying. Now we catch ourselves, because I, I was given the story, I preach a message, some guy comes up and you know, everybody's got in touch and you felt the Spirit of God. And this guy comes up and he said, however, <laughs> you know the guy? <laughs> and then he just, bam, he hits you. And I can take that. That doesn't bother me. But sometimes those words will just take you away from where you were if, if you don't cast that thing down. Now, if it's a corrective word, you just receive it. You know, if it's instruction, you just receive it. But if you know that thing came out of the pit of hell, you don't look at that person bad, and you get back on the road that you were on and the mindset that you were in, and you just continue on and just tell them, bless your little heart. Y'all know that's what we say in South Louisiana. When we mean, when we really mean, get out of my face. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Bless their little heart. Well, Lord, oh, we abashi. Um, what, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is abiding in his word. Abiding, Jesus said, abide in me. And so we're not going to do a giving teaching this morning. 
just abide in his word, you know what to do. You know what's asked of the Lord. You know what is commanded of you. And so, you know, we're not going to have another teaching this morning. Just abide in the word concerning giving. And the Bible says, give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Will men give back to you? And so, come plant something big in the kingdom of God. Come on, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Hello. How is that, Paul? Lord, I thank you for the givers in this church, and I thank you that. You just multiply back to people that gave this morning in a great, great measure. In the name of Jesus. You see anything wrong? You? All right. Am I okay? Hey, you look better than me. I'm How you doing, Brother Clay? Now that does give me the liberty now to fix you when I see something out of place. All right, I can receive it. I can take it. I can take correction. I can take instruction. Uh, I can take getting my act together and my appearance. Well, Lord, we thank you for this morning. I already prayed, didn't I? I'm not going to pray again. We're going to go straight into the word. How about that? Turn to John 15, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. The title of my message is Delight in Discipline. Discipline's a delight. I got one amen. And, and it was just, it's, it, you know, sometimes responses just can be a response. You don't even know why you're saying amen, but... Let's delight in discipline. John 15, 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear most more fruit. My message came from my Friday here on the property. I prune trees for eight hours. This is where my messages come from. They come out of my life. 
You know, Jesus would talk a lot about agricultural things, the so-and-so seed, the wheat and the tares. I mean, it's just all, you know, if, if a, if a uh, grain of corn or kernel of wheat falls to the ground. So he used a lot of agricultural concepts. And so I have agricultural background. I kill trees for a living. <laughs> I didn't grow parsley. I didn't grow spinach. I just cut trees down so we could take care of business. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. They make paper out of trees. Paper. And you know something I'm thinking right now? Who would have ever thought that paper would not be popular as it was 20 years ago? Who would have ever thought of that? Like, we're not going to use as much paper in 2020 as we did in 2000 and 2010. Everything's going digital. They're not using all of this uh, computer paper that we used to use. They're not using it. They're shutting down paper mills now because the paper is not needed. And when I was in the timber business, I mean, I'm thinking we're going to run out of resources. We're going to run out of trees. We're not going to have enough resources to make all the paper in the world. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, we don't need as much paper as we once needed. Isn't that amazing how things shift and nobody could see it coming? I mean, we're building paper plants. We're, we're expanding paper plants. And then all of a sudden, technology just goes out of sight and think things shift. And so life in itself is a shift. Every day it's something new. But the shift I've been talking about in this church is major changes in our life that we can become more like Jesus Christ. And this is part of the sanctification process. There's got to be shifts in your life. A shift in your life according to God's plan is necessary to keep you in the process of sanctification, being matured, growing up in the things of the Lord. So Friday, I counted the trees. I drove out there. I had helpers on the ground. I pruned a hundred trees that I planted. And every tree we, I cut limbs on, it was 15 or 20 limbs. Some were small, some were big. And most of the trees I had to get on a 12-foot ladder, cut some limbs out of the way, then get a no, a 10-foot ladder, then get a 12-foot ladder to get in the tree to prune the inside of the tree because you need to open up a tree. Things need to be opened up. Too many branches. So I would cut branches that I knew would not benefit the beauty of the tree. I would just take it out. And the other branches I would leave, I would prune them so they would become more beautiful. Y'all got that? When you prune a tree... If you don't prune a tree, the limbs grow from a foot up the bole of the tree all the way to the top. And the limbs on the bole at the bottom, they just kind of hang down. And the higher you go up, the more lateral the branches are. And the higher you go up, then the branches start to point upward. And so what I normally try to do 
is prune at least two-thirds of the tree to the place where they're lateral. Y'all with me? And so what I do, I cut off the growth that really brings down the quality of the tree. And if you cut the growth that's being thrown in those branches, then all of a sudden you redirect that the nutrients, the minerals into the tree to become taller and a greater diameter. And so what you get is a straight, tall, uh, uh, strong bold on a tree. You see the look? And just like these oak trees out here, uh, some people never trim the oak trees, so they're just wiry. They're like, God, they're just ugly. I like to go in there and I like, and I've been doing this for three years. And right now, I, I hit them hard. They don't look that good. But in about a year and a half, you're going to see. It's just going to, they're going to have a splendor and a beauty about them. And they'll just be kind of like this. But they had to be pruned. And every time I put that 12-inch, no, 16-inch, 12-pound saw on the limb and I'd crank it up, it would just go, ring. It didn't take much. I didn't have one of these little sissy saws. I had a man. And when I put it on that limb, it, the limb wouldn't fight back. But the wound of that saw will heal over time and you won't even see it when you cut a branch off of a tree it has a wound because the saw was rough but over time it will start to just cover over and once that branch covers over then you will not see that knot anymore in the wood once it covers over that knot and it starts to add mass to the tree it's going to be clear of all knots so you have high quality wood it's a number one grade wood so that's why we prune trees in the uh, timber business for manufacturing but we prune trees like oak trees for beauty and so you can be short ugly and squatty Y'all ever see those trees? They're just short, ugly, and squatty. Or you can prune them, and they become tall and massive and just strong-looking. Who wants that? This is, this is the believer. Needs to be mature. Needs to be strong. And that tree, you understand, it can... It can Pass the test of time and weather and it can stand strong because it's putting all the nutrients it's not putting the nutrients in a wasteful place all of the branches we cut off they're going to burn we're going to drag them all out to the highway somebody's going to haul them off and it's, way, it's useless so we need to be pruned tell your neighbor you need to be pruned and so we've been we have been on a course here at this church and I think we've been really doing well. We started out with knowing that we need to be prayer conscious. And so everybody should have an altar at their home. 
I don't mean candles and all of that. I mean you just have a time that you and your spice spouse and your children, your spicy spouse and your children, y'all pray. And so we really covered that really well. And I think we have a level of prayer in this church that probably we've never had before. And we also stated that out of prayer will come the evangelism. We won't even have to force it. It'll just come out of us. And I really see that. And we have people mobilized and activated and beginning to share their faith only because they've been in the face of God. And when you get in the face of God, you're going to find out he's very interested in people. He's very interested in souls. And so we've been on that. We've been having outreaches. We have other outreaches planned. And our next step was really to begin to teach and disciple people. So we started with prayer. And then we started preaching to the crowds. And now we're starting to pastor the congregation, these meetings in the other room that we have been doing. Uh, Pastor Kevin and my son-in-law, uh, uh, Pastor Clayton, 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 wake up, Clayton. And so anyway, we want to get everybody's foundation right that we can go to the next level in this church. And so... I want to talk about something this morning that will really, really help you grow up. <clears throat> really help you grow up. Really help you mature. Really have you walk away from the place that you are right now in your mind to a place you've never been before uh, spiritually. Let me continue reading this. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So all life as we know it, the abundant life, John 10, 10, it's in Christ. It's not in your career. It's not in your empire. It's not in your money. It's not really in your relationships. It's not how many hobbies or pleasures you have. Real life is in Jesus Christ. If you don't abide in him, you will never know this real life I'm talking about. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Well, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But your delight has got to be in him. And once your delight is him, then you'll have his life. You'll experience this new life to a great, great level of satisfaction and fulfillment. But this, my Father, by this, my Father is glorified. This is how you glorify the Father. You stay abiding in Christ. Even when you're discouraged, even when things are not going the right way, you keep seeking the Lord. You, you keep looking for the word of life from him. You're not doing your own thing. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So if you see this connection with disciple in this scripture, pruning, chastening, disciplining, 
It's what a disciple goes through. And if you don't go through that, if you're not feeling the saw, <laughs> if you're not seeing the sawdust flying, you know, if it doesn't sting a little bit, if you don't feel like you're losing a part of your old life somewhat, you're really not being discipled. You must be discipled. Now, being discipled, and it's being, it's, it's, it means to be disciplined. It, it means to be instructed. It means to be corrected. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, that the Word of God is, you know, it's the inspiration of God. It's written by man, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that it's profitable for doctrine or teaching. And then it talks about reproof. What the Word of God does when we hear it, it tells you you're wrong. And then you realize, I'm wrong. <laughs> That's what it means. You realize, I've been doing that wrong. Isn't that a good thing? And then it talks about that uh, it corrects us. So not only does it show us when we miss it, but it shows us how to do it right. And then instruction in righteousness. And it goes on to say that every man and woman of God can be complete or mature and that he will be fully equipped and trained for every good work. Anything the Lord calls you to do, you'll be able to do it. Anybody knows anybody that they kind of waved the Christian flag and they had a good outlook on life and they were running this race. But when the opportunity came in life for them to like step up, they didn't have a foundation. They were not prepared because they just did not allow the discipline of the Lord to come in their life. So staying connected or abiding in Christ demands discipline. And it'll come from the Word of God. In Romans 7, 21 and 25, listen to this. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. If you will to do good, now let me say it like this. Before you got born again, you didn't know there was a law of sin and death working. You had no clue. And you were only on one path. You didn't have a choice because you were working in the law of sin and death. So without being born again, you didn't know there was an option. You didn't know there was an alternative. And so you left to one path. But now that we get born again, God touches our life. Now we can begin to see with eyes things we never saw before. Now there's a battle. And Paul is talking about that. I want to do good and I can't. I don't want to do that, but I'm tempted to do it. And sometimes I do it. And so the battle is on now because there's two alternatives. There's a choice in the matter. Life and death or life, no, sin and death or life and liberty. And so it's always in our hands what to choose. Now, thank God for grace. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that we do have an alternative, but it's still our choice. Paul said, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So in the spirit, this is right. In our head, how do I do that? 
I mean, in your spirit, you know you can't punch the person, but in your head, you want to. Am I talking to anybody that goes through things in life? But you know in your spirit, you can't cross that line. And so the problem is there's sin in our members. I mean, if we could escape this body, we'd be a lot better off. I'm, I'm just telling you, if we could just get out of this thing, we could take this earth suit off, if we could take this part of humanity off, we'd be a lot glorious to the Father. So listen to this. But I see un another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Ha! Well, Jesus did. I mean, he's asking the question, but he knows that Jesus did uh, deliver him. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Psalms 51.5 says this. Listen to this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. So we were all born into this world in sin. You believe that? And without being born again, that's our mode of operation. And the end of everything we do, the wages of everything we do, it's, it's sin and it's death. It's destructive. It's no life in it at all. And so when we were all born in, in, into this world, we were infected by sin not only infected by sin, everything we're surrounded with is infected by sin. So how do you get out of this? Well, we know the answer, but I'm trying to make the point. When we were born, we were infected with this sin and we couldn't heal ourselves. It doesn't matter what we did or how good we were. We could not heal ourselves. And wherever we went, the infection got worse because everybody else was infected. Are y'all getting this? So it took someone that was not corrupt. It took flesh manifesting incorruptible with no sin that we could see it and believe in it, and that's Jesus, to be washed clean from our, from our own corruption. And that's what Jesus did. In 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so I don't know if you remember this, but before you were saved, people started speaking truth to you. And it did something to you. You were warring in the members and in your mind against this, but in, something inside of you said it was good, and you were kind of attracted to it and magnetized to it, but at the same time, you couldn't grab it. You couldn't receive it, but, and you didn't even know it was truth. But there was some life in it. I remember the first man that really witnessed to me very strong and very powerful on a daily basis because I worked for him was Melvin the murderer. He was all cut up, tattooed. I mean, stitches everywhere. He'd been in jail. And he had all gold teeth. And he talked to me like this. He said, you're going to do something big for God. You're going to do something big for God. And what the package it came in, 
made no sense to me. I could not receive the package. But I'm telling you, the words of life he spoke to me were getting to my heart. You remember that person witnessing to you? You know the guy that wants to pull a shotgun on you? He's fighting God. And when we pray for people and witness to people, this is what happens. We're making it harder and harder and harder for them not to receive Jesus. They'd have to run real fast, move away from here to not receive Jesus. I'm telling you, the more you pray for people, the more you pray for your loved ones, I'm, I'm an example right here, the more grace begins to come their way. The harder it is for them to resist the love of Jesus Christ. But you know what? Right before they receive, there's usually a big impact and a big, a lot of resistance. So you might be witnessing to somebody and they, they pushing back real hard right now. You keep speaking the truth. Don't you let down. Don't you quit. You keep loving them. You know, we know children are led by carnal desires. Anybody had children? <laughs> I mean, those little boogers are emotional. And they, they go by feelings. They're greedy. They don't want to share. They're rebellious in their heart. And I don't care how good you were as a child. The reason I, I you know, the reason some children you can kind of deal with them is because of their personality. But they're still sinful. You just don't have to put up as much drama with that person. But they're just as sinful. And there's little things in their heart also. And so we know kids how they are, right? I was at a place yesterday. I was at Carl, Bob, Pastor Carl's house. And uh, Miss Dara was sitting right in the living room. And they had a few people around. And her little son, Ethan, started throwing a fit. And I was talking to Dara. I mean, I'm like, Dara, I need to ask you some questions. I was serious. I looked around. I, it was kind of not private, but we could talk. And I said, Dara, I really want to pick your brain about some things. So I started talking to her. And her little son started throwing a fit, running on the couch. All of a sudden, she left me. <laughs> she left me. It didn't matter who I was or how important the the what we were talking about. She left me. Now, most people, they would tell the child, well, child pastor, speak, and you need, to, you need to settle down. You really need to settle down. And most parents would correct the children for the sake of their face. Y'all never did that. Dara never told that little boy, I'm going to tell you one, one time. No, she told him one time. And once he started running around, she just stopped and watched him. She, let, she didn't even look at me anymore. I almost was offended. I mean, her most concern now was that little rebellious kid. And she just totally looked at that boy. She watched him run up and down that couch and stomp his feet. She just fully composed. And she just watched him. And... When I least expected, her arm, it's like her arm extended like three feet. She grabbed him, and I mean, as soon as she got a, her hand on him, she laid him on the lap, and I turned my head, and all I heard was pop, 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 pop. 
that's all I heard. She was, she didn't, her son was more important to her at that point than anything on the whole planet. And she was scoping the whole situation out. I'm gonna let him run a little more. And I know what I, she had a plan. She didn't say, I'm gonna tell you one more time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna count to three. She, she just watched him. Next thing you know, she popped him. That little boy started crying and she just watched him for a few seconds. And then she grabbed him. I watched her. She grabbed him and she went. In his little fit, in his little tantrum, in his little rage because he feeling pain. And she just kept. She's still not talking to me. She's not concerned about it. This is a party. She's not concerned about anybody at the place. Her son was the most important person at that time. And she took advantage of the whole situation and she dealt with it right away. That's what we need to do with all of our kids. But that's what God needs to do with us. You know, I just said that the mystery of God's will is hidden in pain and suffering. When I spanked my kids when they were little, they did not understand why their daddy was spanking them. All they knew is they did wrong and it was painful, so I'm not going to do that anymore. They didn't see the depth of it. They didn't understand why is this grown-up spanking me. I'll say it again. The mystery of God's will can be found in pain and suffering and adversity. So today, my kids have kids. The mystery is being revealed. <laughs> you understand? They, they, they didn't really get it. But now, they're in my shoes. And they fully understand why dad applied that pain to make a point. But they didn't get the point. I mean, even in my growing up, in the church, pastors corrected me and did things, and I didn't understand it. I just had to stay humble. A lot of things happen. You just don't understand. How many of y'all, is that true? A lot of things happen in life, and you just don't understand it. Keep your heart right, because God will use all of that. He's not the author of it. You know, I was not beating my kids out of anger. I was spanking them out of love. I was disciplining them. I was chastening them. I was instructing them. But it had to happen over and over and over and over. And then they turn like 33 and have little curtain crawlers. And, and they finally understand. You understand? So you got to keep your heart right when you're going through things. Because the, the Word of God, the ways of God, the providence of God can be revealed in those seasons. Don't go through hard times and not learn anything. You only hurt yourself. You'll come out mean and ugly and squatty. Short, ugly, and squatty. Short on character, 
mean in your attitude and squatty spiritually, low to the ground, earthly, sensual, and, and don't have any spiritual sense. So you need to be pruned. We all do. We all have been. But it needs to continue. It never stops. It just never stops. Every level, there's another level of uh, discipline. I thought that was a good uh, story. Now listen, now Dara knows, now I know too, that if you don't deal with that, it'll reseed itself. If you don't deal with it, if you don't see it as important, if you don't take the time, if you just doing this discipline thing and this spanking thing just so you feel better. That's kind of selfish. You know, you, you, you spank kids just to get them out the way. So your life will be better. No, we spank kids so their life will be better. But I mean, if you're a parent and you, you fragment it on every end, you already hurting your kids and not knowing it. That's why you need the discipline of the Lord. And it's never too late. Y'all getting anything out of there? Proverbs 23, 12, and 14. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child. Do not withhold correction from a child. Do not withhold correction from a child. I've watched people get on Facebook I've watched people do hobbies and they give all the time, all their energy, and they're so patient about, patient about it. But when it comes to a kid disciplining, they, I mean, they just like a short fuse. They're not skilled in any kind of way. They can use a saw, they can use a tool, they can, they can paint a picture, but they can't even discipline their own children, which is the most valuable thing that we have in the wisdom of God. Are y'all getting this? For if you beat him with a rod, somebody like that. That's what it says right here. For if you beat him with a rod, you'll deliver his soul from hell. That means spank. That means scourge. That means apply a little pain. You'll save his soul from hell. Now listen. And now, we're just talking about the run-of-the-mill uh, family. You know, the child needs to abide by the rules of the home. And, and prayerfully, I hope it doesn't go below this in your home, but it does, people, way below this. Judeo-Christian values, there's a God. You know, we were taught to be respectful. We were taught to to be nice. We were taught to, you know, do what you were asked to do. We, we knew there were some do's and don'ts. We, you know, we were just taught all those things. And so if you have those standards in your house, then the house has rule. And if anybody rebels against those things, we're not even talking spiritual, we're just talking some things, then, then those kids will be better off. They won't be as fragmented in life. Now, if we bring into the household the Bible and the scriptural principles of the Lord and we start applying those things, those kids are kept. They are just kept safe and kept protected and kept from the enemy until they can confess out of their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. 
And if you don't give them that little bit, they may not ever have the opportunity or they may have so much rebellion in them and so hard-hearted that you understand they'll resist the truth that comes to them. Now, I'm talking about children. Y'all got it with children? Do y'all understand this with children? Well, listen, let's take it to our realm now. We are children of God. How much more should we be disciplined, chastened, instructed, and dealt with when we do things that are not right? I mean, wouldn't you think our Father in heaven would want us to submit to his house, to his ways, to his son's accomplishments on the cross? Thank God for grace and mercy. For a born-again child of God to remain attached to the only genuine source of life, he must be chastened. If you're going to stay attached to the kingdom of God, and if you're going to stay attached to Jesus and the word of God, you are going to have to be chastened. You will not be able to have your way in everything. Even in marriages, somebody's got to humble themselves. The fight's got to stop. You have to be chasing. And most of us are wanting to chasing the other one so we can skirt by our problems. Most of us want to chasing other people so our life could be better. No, our life would be better if we allow the Lord to chasten us. Then we could deal with the people that are not chasing. You know, we always want to work on the other person. Let the Lord work on us. He'll grow you. He'll strengthen you. That you can stand against somebody saying, I wish I had a shotgun. And cry for him, right? Like, you know, did you ever feel like going to hunt him down, punch him in the face? Yeah, I, see that? The world wouldn't do that. Now that's, that's the inward man seeing that this attack, this persecution, it's, it's all about a problem in a man's heart. That's the wisdom of God. You see, the chastening in Kevin's life over his time in Christ has done something. He's accepted the ways of the Lord. And so now he understands we have to carry this pain sometimes because people are in pain. Sometimes we have to hold on when that hurtful person starts to swing because they're hurt. And, and basically, we need to get to the point that, you know, we're, we're, a little, we're, not, we're not designed not to hurt, but it, it's got to get to the point that we're not just offended by every little thing that people say. And every little thing that people do. Come on, we got to get, we, come on, you can't stay short, ugly, and squatty. <laughs> you need to grow up tall. You need some spiritual height. You need some girth. You need some diameter. You need some, you need to be solid in the word of God. You need to rise up. Come on, somebody. So just like little Ethan, if he's not corrected, the sin nature will take over. I mean, it'd take over the household. Then everybody's mad. So you understand, for us to stay abiding with the Lord, the sin nature 
which has not been, you understand, it's been dealt with. It's in the grave. But that sucker could rise up. You feed that, that sin nature, that old man, he'll rise up, up out of the grave. He will want his way. And so it's, it's, he's been crucified. You understand? But he can rise up. He's been dealt with, but not eliminated. It's always a choice on our part. We've been redeemed. All things are new. All things are on go. All godliness is in us now. But that old nature can be fed and it can rise up. Come on, somebody. Y'all believe that? The new nature brings new life with new desire. But the old nature lives in our members of sin and can be raised from the dead. The battle, the battle. Man, the, you, you, can't, you can't forget the remedy. It's the blood. It's not the attack back at the person. It's the blood. It's the water. It's the spirit. It's the word. That's what girds us up. That's what makes us strong. Galatians. 5, 16, and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts, lusts against the Spirit. There's a battle. And the Spirit against the flesh. This is believers. This is not worldly people. Y'all better go sit together or y'all just not going to make it in this service. <laughs> go sit by that man. I mean, Lord, how many that? What's up, J.R.? <laughs> <laughs> she quit looking at me. What's up with that? For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So wherever your mind is, that's going to be your path. You know, if you meditate, if those things stay on you, what, I mean, if you've got your mind on fleshly things, you're going to be fleshly. If you've got your mind on spiritual things or the spirit, you're going to manifest the spirit. I mean, I've, I mess up people on the front row all the time because doing service, I want things. And they'll be just totally caught up in the spirit. And then Pastor Flesh will come along. <laughs> and then I'll say, hey, I need you to do this. And they're like, you almost got to wake them out of the spirit. I mean, seriously, because their minds are on the spirit. And so if you walk in the spirit, you'll fulfill the spiritual desires of the Lord. But if you walk in the flesh, you understand it's because you're thinking along those lines. Why am I at this church today? I can't, I mean, how long is he going to preach? I mean, really? Is he going to really quit at 3 o'clock today or is he going to go to 4? <laughs> I got a few people thinking right now. No. The nature you feed and follow will be the path, path you take. The nature you feed will be the nature you follow and that will be the path you take as a Christian. And so you can be a Christian but very immature very carnal, very flesh-minded. Jesus is the only alternative to sin. 
and the death nature. It's a choice. He's broken the dominion of sin off of us. But a dog can return to his vomit. But it's broken. It's been dealt with. The penalty, the punishment, the power of sin has all been dealt with. Now we have to think on those things that are above. Now we have to stay and walk by the Spirit. Romans 6, 4. Therefore we are we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So you can walk in the newness of life, or you can walk cornerly. Four aspects that I always remember about the born-again experience. First of all, we've been regenerated. I mean, we have a new nature. You, you got the, I don't want to do that no more. I want to do this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You never had that before. But all of a sudden, you see yourself different, you see God different, and you begin to see people different. That's usually the last thing that really starts to happen. Because, you know, you, you see yourself better, and you start thinking you're better than everybody else. And then you see God, that he sees you better than everybody else. You're starting to get messed up right there. You know what I was thinking about this morning? Jesus said, what you do to the least, you do to me. And I'm thinking, that's where the power of God is, when you least. You remember the good Samaritan stopped and helped the least. And the Lord said, that's your neighbor. That's the man that has mercy. So what you do to the least, Jesus said, you do to me. And so when things hit my life real hard, I feel least. Not sorry for myself, but I have to rely on the Lord. And you know what he does? He sends people to me. Things begin to happen because I'm not high-minded. I'm not trying to figure it all out. I just become least. Jesus said, what you do to the least, you do to me. So the Lord is telling me right now, if I stay least, people will see me like they see the Lord. And so I'm the least. And so God's sending people to me. I, I'm telling you, as a pastor, seriously, I feel the least. I mean, how do I get to do this? Somebody asked me, how do you get to be a pastor? I said, I was called. I didn't call myself. <laughs> he called me. And so I feel, I, feel, I feel the least. I feel so humble. I, I'm like, how do, you, how do you do, how do we keep this thing going? Well, we trust in the Lord. And stay least and stay humble. And he just speaks to us and he moves. And he has his way. Come on, somebody. So the first thing in, in born-again experience is that we're regenerated. We have a new nature. Behold, the old is gone. Everything is new. And now you understand we're, we, we become the righteousness of God. And it's not of our own doing. It's not our self-righteousness. It's not about something we did or something we accomplished. He imputed this to us. Because he who knew no sin became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he gives us this. So that's the platform we work from. Uh, I had a guy I was talking to the other day. He was very Catholic. And uh, I just popped the question on him. If you died today, what would happen? And he, you know, he said, I, well, I pray, I'm good, I, I serve. I, and he did all of these things. I said, I really want to teach you something right now. 
and I used like the tabletop as my playboard and I told him all about what Jesus did for mankind and how he did everything provided everything that our sins could be forgiven and he just looked at me with this puzzled look like I have never heard and I had asked him if he was going to heaven he said I've never heard that before been in so called church all of his life he said wow I said that's where you work from don't ever leave that place now you leave it but you leave it as a platform of victory to go do your life. You understand? And he really got it. And he's big in music. And he, is he here today? He said, I'm coming to your church. He said, I'm coming to your church. He said, I'm coming to your church. I said, you said it three times. You'll be a three-time liar if you don't come. <laughs> and he books bands, and he's kind of involved in a bunch of areas. And apparently he's being convicted about a lot of things in music and the people he's around and what he sets up and so God just put me right in his life to just lay the gospel down that he could accept it and then make a choice from there what he was going to do what he's going to do y'all still here so we have regeneration we have justification and that's just sin has been dealt with it's just as we've never sinned before once we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and then there's adoption We've been adopted by the Father. We cry out, Abba, Father. We don't have any fear anymore. He's not the man upstairs. He's our loving, everlasting Father. He's for us, not against us. Nothing can separate his love from us. And so now we've been adopted into the kingdom of life, life ripped out of the kingdom of darkness, and now we have an inheritance in him. Isn't that marvelous? And the last thing is sanctification. And without chastening, you cannot be sanctified. Because if you got it all right, you don't need to go through this process. But we all need to go through this process, and it really has no end. So chastening is a part of the sanctification process and will help you make the right choices in life. Sanctification is part of the process or chastening is a part of the process of sanctification and it just helps you make better decisions in life. When you make a bad decision and you find it in the word, that word, that was wrong, it's like, wow, I missed that one. And so now you can make a better choice. Listen, if you're going to learn by your mistakes, you're going to be short, ugly, and squatty. Because it just makes you ugly just learning by mistakes and how many times you need to make the same mistake to get it right. No, you need to learn by the word of God and humble ourselves and just take the word of God in heart and just let it cleanse you, let it lead you, let it guide you. John 12, 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out the world. Oh, well, thank you, Jesus. He ain't praying to remove you. Oh, I just want to go to heaven. That's not even scripture. You, you, you bowing out, you little weak, lily-livered thing. You know, I heard a preacher preaching this the other day. And he was talking about communion, that we need to examine ourselves because if you take communion wrong, some will be weak, some will be sick, and some will be, die. And this is the way he used it. God's disciplining people. No, God's not the author of that. 
but he will use it. But he's not the author of that. And this guy, I'm talking about plainly stated it, that God is making people sick, God is making people weak, and God is killing people to discipline them. That's not, that's not scriptural. Now, all things will work together for, for good only to those that love the Lord. If you don't love the Lord, that scripture is not for you. And I hear Christians quoting it to unbelievers all the time. Well, if they get saved, then all of that will work for good, but they don't have a clue what you're talking about. Matter of fact, when we're going through hell, who wants to hear that scripture? Ain't nobody wants to hear that scripture. I mean, I'm stuck in just, it's going to work for good, it ain't good. But it is good according to those that are called to his purposes and love the Lord. And so that's how I see it. God can use everything, but he's not the author of everything. We live in a fallen world. And, and you know, people can fall back into this fallen nature. People can self-afflict you. They can self-afflict themselves. You know, they can afflict us, afflict themselves. How many of y'all get around people who got a lot of drama? Well, if they get, you get around them, you in their drama. But we can be around drama and not get drama. Jesus said, in me, you have peace in life. In the world, you'll have drama, tribulation, persecution, trouble, difficulties. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, this is the point I want. And then the Bible says that his truth sanctifies us. That's why he leaves us in the world. Because his truth will sanctify us. It, the truth will put us in a place and a position that we're like Christ, that he can use us to touch other people. Now, I want to read these scriptures, and then we're going to end. Go to Hebrews 11, 33. This is Christianity right here. I just told Kevin, you know, I mean, somebody wants to shoot you. In most countries, they just shoot you. <laughs> They're not going to warn you. who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lying. Let's go on. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Come on, that's my people right there. Women received the dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of train chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these having obtained a good testimony. Gee. Oh, <laughs> and we worried about somebody disliked us on Facebook. Really? And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. They never saw Jesus like we see Jesus. They, don't, they couldn't tap in or access the blood of the Christ like we can. Next verse. God having provided something better for us. They made it, but we got something better to make it on. But they made it. That they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now listen to this next scripture. I never put all this together. 
Therefore, we also, this is relating to those people in the Old Testament that didn't have it as good as we have it, didn't have the revelation that we have. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, they're our witnesses. They made it. They made it through all of that. And then we have witnesses in the church today that made it. You understand? Marriages that were broken, falling apart, and they pressed in and they made it. People that were addicted and pressed in and made it. And people that are born again, living for God, and all hell breaks loose, and they're persecuted and talked down on, and they still keep their joy. So we got the cloud of witnesses right here. Forget about Abraham, Isaac, and all that. We got it here. I'm looking at people that pressed through. I'm looking at people that made it. So, so, if they did that, let's please lay aside every weight, anything that would hang, you'd hang up on, anybody that you need to get away from, let just lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily besets you or ensnares you and let us run. with endurance the race that is set before us. Now listen to this. Next verse. Looking unto Jesus. Now listen, we got the cloud of witnesses. We got the church. Now we can look at Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is another example. This is another testimony that we can do it too. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Next verse. For consider him. Consider the Old Testament preachers, men and women of God. Consider Jesus. He considered, endured such hostility from sinners. Not from church people. Yeah, I just can't handle all them church people. They always come at you. You little lily livered thing. That ain't even a problem. Hostility from sinners. I'm going to shoot you if I had a shotgun. I mean, you can't get along with people in church. You're not going to make it here. You're just not going to make it here. You're not mature enough to get along. If we're not mature enough to get along with each other, how in the world are we going to stand against the hostility of our adversaries, people that hate us. Come on, somebody. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That can happen. It does happen. Anybody ever get weary? Because of the attacks of life, the fallen life around you, what you thought was supposed to go right, didn't go right, went wrong, all of these things. I am preaching to you. This is why we preach, that you don't get discouraged. This is why we preach. This message, my message is in this church is not for the world. It's to you that you will not get discouraged. You look at those past patriarchs. You look at Jesus. You look at people in this church. I want you to see it so you don't get discouraged. That's why we preach. Because it's normal to get discouraged. You know, that's why we meet. And God forbid a Christian say, I'm discouraged. It's like, oh, no, we'll just say something like, how are you fine? You're lying out your teeth. 
No, we get hit with discouragement. That's why we preach the gospel, so you can bring to your remembrance what Jesus did, what the patriarchs did, what those have done that went before us. Can we read a little more? You have not yet resisted bloodshed. Now they're talking to those people. But they did finally lose some blood. But I'm telling you, you have not yet been resisted to bloodshed. Yet. <laughs> Let's take this time to be a witness against striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. If you want to stay out of discouragement, you better receive chastening. You better receive the word of God or you'll find yourself in a place of discouragement because you didn't have what you needed to get up and run again because something needed to be shifted. Something needed to be changed. And you said no and you resisted. For whom the Lord loves, he chases. I mean, I see pain, but I see some love. <laughs> I saw pain on little Ethan's face but I saw his mama. I mean, she was loving that boy. Perfect love cast out all fear of that little boy. He didn't understand all of that, but he knew this. His mama loved him. And one day, the revelation will come, and he'll praise his mama. He'll praise his mama. Mama, I understand. Come on, somebody. Encourage just every son whom we receive. Next verse. If you endure chastening, well, if you don't want it, you're not going to endure it because you don't want it. You have to endure it. God deals with you as with sons. And what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That was a good mama. A mama that would just watch, watch this rebellious act going on and put it in a place like, you know, I'll deal with it somewhere down the road. And, you know, trying to disguise it or cover it up because she's embarrassed. You understand? That's not really love. Chastening is love. Now, I'm not saying beat somebody in anger. I'm saying spank them, chasten them in love. This is what you need. I had, I had preachers tell me, I had pastors tell me, Brother Butch. It ain't going to be what you want to hear, but this is what you need to do. <laughs> but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. There's another word for that, but we won't say it. Let's go. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. We can all say amen to that. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of our spirits? the father of our born-again, perfected spirits. How much more should we just submit to him? The father of our spirits, the perfecter of our spirits in our life. We have had, for they indeed for a few days chasten us. Now listen to this. This goes back to the way you chasten a child. For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them. 
In other words, some parents chase kids so they can be better off. Has nothing to do with their kids. I don't want you doing that because you embarrass your mama. You ought to not even tell your kids that. You ought to tell them it's a sin. That's not what you do. Now come over here and you put a little pain on their back end and you send them in their room. You, you don't, don't, don't say you're embarrassing me. Just deal with the sin. Of course it is embarrassing, but that's not going to make it work. What you need to do is put a little pain on the back end, chasing them, and then love them. And then you won't be embarrassed by them. Take the time. That's what God does with us. I can't, you understand, I'm his son. I really don't think I can embarrass my father if I'm open to chasing him. Because if I do embarrass him, he'll call me to the carpet. And he loved me so much, he's not going to let me do that again because it makes me look bad. I can't make God look bad. And we got to be careful with that. We know we can bring reproach on the body of Christ. But you understand, God's not going to change because you did something bad. <laughs> you understand. His attitude, he, he is not short, ugly, and squatty. <laughs> let's, let's finish the scripture. Now listen, but he or our prophet. You know, many, many parents, they spank their kids for their benefit. The Lord doesn't chasten us for his profit. He chastens us because it's good for us. Y'all God, that is true, genuine love. Wow. That we may become partakers of his holiness. So you cannot partake in his holiness if you're not open to chastening. You can't ever know his love if you're not open for chastening. You can never profit spiritually if you're not opening to his chastening. It's all in there that we may partake in his holiness. Next verse. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but pain. That's a true statement. Just suck it up. Just suck it up. Then admit your fault. Say, I'm sorry. Apologize. Tell everybody in the church you did it and let them hold you accountable so you don't do it again. That's painful. I think the most painful thing for a man is just to admit he's wrong. God forbid. The pride is so strong. And what we do, we miss it. We know we miss it, but you miss it more than me. So I got you. <laughs> Please. Nevertheless, after it yields, listen to all of this, the repercussions of doing things right and being chastened. Now you have peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained. That means it needs to happen. It needs to happen. It needs to happen often. And listen, the chastening comes through the word of God. It just comes through the word of God. The spirit will speak to you. The word written word of God will speak to you. Preaching, teaching. You know, I, I tell you what chastens me a lot. You just see somebody doing something so right. You ever see somebody just, they got that thing down, and it just, like, irks you? I'm not saying I feel like that. But if you feel like that, there's a problem. You, you should be like, you know what? I got it right in a lot of ways, but that right there, 
I gotta have some of that. Could could you teach me how to play that guitar? <laughs> Wasn't that good this morning? Anyway, we need to be trained by the instruction, the correction, the reproof, and the chastening of the Lord. This is discipleship. Without it, we're not disciplined. And if we're not disciplined and open to it, we're really not a disciple of the Lord. And we won't go forward. Jesus' name. Who's open to the chastening of the Lord? Not the chastening of Pastor Butch. Not the chastening of another person in here, but just open to shift and to change and to let go of that thing and let go of that person to get it right in our life. I know you like me. That's what I want. I want to mature. I want to grow up. Amen. Well, we're going to do one last thing here today. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I could get in the flesh. But uh, Brother J.R. has asked Bridget to marry her. Did you accept? Okay, you accept. When is this going to happen? The first, the first phase, two weeks. And so Brother J.R. is the pastor of the church in Port Allen, him and his mother. And uh, so what I was going to do, I was going to lay hands on y'all and like lay hands on you and send you to him there but my hand kind of wants to do this lay, lay hands on him send him here with you here <laughs> you know that happened in the bible but that won't happen here <laughs> y'all stand up we, so what we're doing uh, we're sending Bridget one of my daughters in the Lord uh, to unite with her husband and now to be pastor, your pastor, but husband first. And uh, so this is a whole new shift, a big shift. So we want to just do it right. We want to recognize you. We want to recognize Pastor J.R. And uh, it's our loss, but it's your gain. You will be missed, but you will be accepted. <laughs> and so, Lord, uh, I know when we pray to send missionaries, there's a power in that prayer to send, to mobilize, to equip, to empower, to provide for. There's so much in that word when we send people. So as a congregation, as a family, we send Bridget and we release Bridget to Pastor J.R. and to the work over there. That Lord, what you will be uniting, it will be tight and right. I thank you, Lord. What you're uniting right now would cause a double anointing. And that anointing will first work, not in the ministry, but a love for one another. Uh, a completeness, uh, not competing. And so I thank you for the spirit of the living God upon this couple. And I thank you at this uniting 
they will become a species, an entity that no one has ever seen before. They will become one in the sight of men and women on this earth. And I thank you that the...